Hey folks, it's Doug Thornell, and welcome to another episode of The Electables. As always, I'm joined by top producer Michael Peliquin, who's always by my side. Michael, how you doing, buddy? How That's was your right. weekend? Good, good. It was a good weekend. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to sometimes distinguish the weekend and the week, um, especially now since you're not, you know, I haven't left my house <laughs> that much in the last four months. So there is no bridge, right, to sort of like getting out of the work week, yeah. right? Normally you drive in, you know, you drive to work or you take the metro to work or the bus or walk or bike or whatever. You go to work, you do your thing, and then you get back on your transportation back home and there's that like sort of bridge to personal life that doesn't exist anymore, which is, which is, uh, you know, strange and something that we all have to adjust to. But, um, I, you know, it, it was a nice weekend. It was, um, you know, but do all, I'm, I'm finding as many different things to do around my house as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. At least the, it's uh, like a never ending. It really is a never ending, um, pro- like do it yourself project. Right. Right. You got to keep yourself out of home Depot. Oh, I you, know, I you know it's so it's Monday morning, uh, the tenth of August, and I was just in Home Depot two hours ago. Actually, <laughs> I had to go get some paint because I'm working on doing a painting project. So, um, but you know, uh, so a lot's going to uh, happen this week. I we I guess we expect that uh, Vice President Biden will make his announcement on his running mate. Um, we're uh, a week out from the Democratic National Convention. But this week, uh, August 11th and 12th, mark the three-year anniversary of the violence that took place in Charlottesville, um, where uh, a group, a well-organized uh, group of not neo-Nazis and white nationalists um, put together and uh, executed a plan of of hate and violence that ultimately caused a young woman, Heather Heyer, her life. Uh, and many other people were, were hurt um, on that Saturday, August 12th of 2017. Um, August 11th, 2017 was when the infamous Tiki Torches uh, march occurred in Charlottesville. Um, and then, of course, everyone remembers how the president of the United States handled it, saying that uh, there were good people on both sides. Um, so I, uh, I, I wanted to, I thought it was very important that we remember what happened um, three years ago uh, by bringing on uh, a friend of mine, um, Amy Spitalnik, who is the executive director of Integrity First for America. And IFA for short, and IFA, and this is why I think this this organization is so fantastic. And full transparency, I'm on the board. Um, the reason why I joined this organization and why they're so incredible is because they're the one organization that is trying to bankrupt neo Nazis and the white nationalist movement, and they have brought a a major case 
to defund and bankrupt these organizations who were behind the plotting and execution of what happened in Charlottesville three years ago. Um, and so Amy is the executive director uh, of IFA. She has a decade of experience in government, politics, and advocacy, and she most recently served as a communications director and senior policy advisor to the uh, New York Attorney General. She was also a spokesperson for uh, the New York City Mayor and uh, worked in the New York State Senate and on a number of uh, federal, state, local campaigns and advocacy organizations. Um, and she uh, uh, became uh, the executive director of IFA uh, in the, with, uh, two years ago, a year and a half? What, what was it, Amy? Exactly, almost two years ago. Yeah. So uh, she's great, uh, just a phenomenal talent, and has um, you know risked a lot to take to do this job. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of that in our in our conversation. But Amy, welcome to the Electables. Thank you so much for the 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 work you're doing in this area. It's incredibly important. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it's a big week for you. Thanks so much for having me and for everything you do to support IFA in this case. Um, so let's let's roll back the clock. 2017, August 11th, or even if you want to even start before that, describe what actually happened in Charlottesville and how did this case that you're uh, bringing come about? So it's so easy to forget that three years ago in an American city, neo-Nazis and white supremacists were so emboldened that they just marched violently with their faces out for the world to see, um, attacking people based on their race, their religion, and their willingness to defend the rights of others. Um, and so first, on August 11th, 2017, I think many of us vividly remember watching uh, the Tiki Torch march, um, the images that came out of that horrific uh, evening. These neo-Nazis and white supremacists were intentionally carrying torches to evoke the KKK and the Nazis, they chanted things like, Jews will not replace us, blood and soil, white lives matter. And then they violently attacked a small group of peaceful counter-protesters who had gathered on the University of Virginia campus to fight back, to, to peacefully stand up against the white supremacy that had descended on their community. Um, and one of our plaintiffs who was there that evening, an African-American man, said he thought he was going to die. That's how horrific it was. The next day, of course, was was no different. And uh, instead, they marched on downtown Charlottesville. This was the day of the actual permitted Unite the Right rally. Um, they were there under the guise of protesting the removal of the Confederate statue, the Robert E. Lee statue that's in Emancipation Park downstairs, uh, downtown. Um, but as I'll mention in a second, that's not actually why they were there. Um, there's so much to say about the violence that unfolded on August 12, 2017. Among other things, they charged a line of interfaith clergy, injuring many, including one of our plaintiffs, Reverend Seth Whispelway. Um, and then, of course, we all know how the day culminated in James Fields driving his car into a crowd of peaceful counter-protesters, killing Heather Heyer and injuring many others, including many of our plaintiffs. And what's so important to understand about all of this is that nothing was an accident. For months in advance on social media, including on a platform called Discord, which is typically used by video gamers, 
These neo-Nazis and white supremacists planned every last detail of what happened, from what to wear, what to bring for lunch, to which weapons to carry, and whether they could hit protesters with cars and then claim self-defense, which is, of course, exactly what happened. Um, And so at Integrity First for America, on behalf of a coalition of Charlottesville community members who were injured, both during the Tiki Torch violence um, and during the violence on August 12th, including many in the car attack, um, we are suing the two dozen neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and hate groups responsible. We're not suing all all the hundreds of neo-Nazis and white supremacists who came to Charlottesville, but rather based on the evidence we have, the chats from Discord and other forums, um, we've identified the leaders who orchestrated and executed this violence And we are suing them under a number of civil rights statutes, most notably something called the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, um, which was first passed to protect recently freed slaves from Klan vigilante violence um, and gives private plaintiffs like ours a right of recourse against private individuals and groups that seek to undermine their rights, which is, of course, exactly what happened in Charlottesville three years ago. So who who are the plaintiffs? And who are these brave folks who are sort of, you know, who are, you know, get who are who are putting, you know, their lives on the line here? I think our plaintiffs are some of the bravest people I know. Um, These are a coalition of Charlottesville community members who were injured, some during that Tiki Torch March on UVA, um, including Liz Sines, who was a UVA law student. Um, and John Doe, who's actually pseudonymous, who, you know, anonymously filed this lawsuit because he had received so many threats and was so worried for his own safety. He was an African-American undergrad student at UVA um, during that attack. Um, many of our plaintiffs were also injured during the car attack itself. If you know the iconic Pulitzer winning photo of the car hitting the crowd, you can see a number of our plaintiffs, including Marcus Martin, who wears the white t-shirt and red shoes sort of splayed across the back of the car. He had just pushed his fiance Marissa Blair out of the way. Um, both were significantly injured. Thomas Baker is also seen in that photo flipping over the hood of the car. Natalie Romero, who was an undergrad student at UVA, um, had her skull fractured among many other injuries sustained during the attack. Um, similarly, Reverend Seth Wispelway, who organized the interfaith response to white supremacists coming to Charlottesville, was in fact targeted uh, and violently attacked himself during uh, the events of August 12th while he was peacefully marching with other clergy. Um, and so our plaintiffs really represent the diversity uh, and, and sort of the spirit of the Charlottesville community. They're students, they're clergy, they're young professionals, scientists, others who um who care so much about their community decided to come out and peacefully protest the white supremacists who had come from all over the country to attack their community and in turn were violently attacked by those extremists and are now bravely fighting back through this lawsuit. And so where does the case stand today? We are scheduled for trial this October as if there isn't enough happening this fall already. Um, our, our case is scheduled for trial October 26th. Of course, we are continuing to adapt given the global pandemic that's happening. Um, but we have been moving full speed ahead. Um, as you could imagine, the defendants have tried every trick in the book to try to block this suit, um, including filing motions to dismiss early on, which the court, um, 
rejected nearly in full, which is pretty extraordinary. And it's worth reading that decision from the judge, which is on our website at integrityfirstforamerica.org. The judge makes crystal clear that what happened is not protected speech. Violence is not protected by the First Amendment, period, um, among many other defenses that the judge rejected in those arguments, uh, in that decision. Um, similarly, the defendants have tried lots of different tricks to avoid turning over the evidence to which our plaintiffs are entitled. Some have even claimed their phones have fallen into toilets. Um, it's like the dog, eat, the dog ate my homework of Nazi excuses. Um, <laughs> And uh, our, our plaintiffs and our legal team have been tireless in ensuring that they get every bit of evidence to which they're entitled, um, filing motions to compel, asking the court to sanction the defendants um, when they've uh, flagrantly violated court orders, which has not been an uncommon occurrence. Um, and in fact, um, we've won significant sanctions against many of the defendants, including over $41,000 against three key defendants earlier this summer. One was thrown in jail for contempt of court. Others are now uh, facing additional threats from the court to uh, be arrested if they fail to show up for depositions. Um, and we have a number of other pending sanctions motions. So uh, despite their best efforts, our plaintiffs and our legal team have continued to hold them to account. Um, we are, as I said, scheduled for trial this October. Um, and. There's so much to say about the impact of the case, which I'm sure we'll get into, but suffice it to say that even before we get to trial, we have seen very significant impacts financially, legally, and operationally against these defendants um, who really comprise a who's who of the violent white nationalist movement in America. Yeah, and, and so I think a lot of people know of neo-Nazi organizations, they're familiar with the Klan, but some of these other sort of below the radar groups who live on the dark web and push stuff around on Reddit and other places, or used to at least, um, like who are these groups? Who are, who are like, who, and, 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 right, and who is sort of, and I assume they hate everyone who's not, you know, a white Christian male. Um, but is there any, you know, in terms of like, you know, sort of like what, you know, their overall motivation that you guys have been able to figure out in terms of, you know, what are they, what are they trying to, to, to do? What's like their end game? Is it just terrorism or is it, you know, something bigger than that? Uh, that's a great question. And look, there's so, there's so much to say about the ideology of the white nationalist movement in America. But there are some basic common denominators. And in many cases, it's the ultimate hope for a white ethno state. They don't believe that uh, you or I belong in this country, um, that many of the people who make up the fabric of America don't fit their narrow, vile definition for uh, a white America. Um, and they, you know, believe that through a variety of tools and tactics, it's their obligation to achieve that goal. Many are motivated by something called replacement theory, um, which is the idea that the white race is being replaced by black and brown people, by others, um, oftentimes with Jews as the puppet masters. You can really sort of see the intersectionality, for lack of a better term, of their hate, um, in that they truly hate all of us. They believe Jews are the puppet masters, uh, executing the replacement of the white race. Um, and it's this ideology that we've seen 
through so many attacks in recent years, not just Charlottesville, where they quite literally chanted, Jews will not replace us and you will not replace us at diverse community members who are peacefully protesting them. Um, But we saw it in Pittsburgh, where the white supremacist shooter targeted a synagogue that was working with refugees coming to America, where uh, in Christ Church, where the um, white supremacist shooter targeted a mosque where Muslims were praying, um, in Poway, uh, where another synagogue was attacked, and in El Paso, which we just marked the one-year anniversary of last week, um, where similarly a shooter intentionally targeted a Latinx community, the El Paso community, um, espousing the same sort of great replacement theory, um, as it's called. And so, so many of the defendants in our suit are the individuals and groups that have propagated this idea in recent years. Um, It's individuals like Richard Spencer, Andrew Anglin, Chris Cantwell, Matthew Heimbach, Jeff Scoop, and a number of others who are really at the center of this movement. and organizations like Identity Europa, which now goes by American Identity Movement, they have um, really popularized this idea of replacement among uh, or these sorts of white nationalist leaders and organizations in the United States. Um, similarly, League of the South, certain KKK groups, National Socialist Movement, which is one of the largest neo-Nazi organizations in the country. They just had a neo-Nazi rally in Pennsylvania a few weeks back. Um, and a whole host of others um, that together comprise the leadership of the violent white nationalist movement in America. It's not a surprise that the defendants we are taking on for their role in Charlottesville, who were central to planning and executing that violence, also have deep connections to the broader cycle of violence, disinformation, and hate we've seen in recent years. We know that the Pittsburgh shooter communicated with some of the Charlottesville leaders before his attack. We know that the Christchurch shooter painted onto his gun a symbol that was popularized by one of our defendants, Matthew Heimbach. Um, And even now, during both coronavirus and the Black Lives Matter protests, we see these defendants central to efforts to spread violence and disinformation, like Identity Europa, which posed as Antifa on Twitter and urged uh, violence in white neighborhoods. Um, So the idea here is that by taking on the groups and the leaders at the center of this movement, we can bankrupt and dismantle them through large civil judgments and have impacts that go well beyond Charlottesville. You know, it strikes me that the that there's a good deal of similarity between the language around the replacement Called, you know, the I guess you said the replacement culture. Is that right? Or the yeah, replacement the concerns theory, about exactly. replacement theory and folks who are pushing this cancel culture. Yeah, you know, who are worrying about who sort of like are 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 pushing this notion that the left or minorities are trying to cancel their culture. Like it, it almost is to me indistinguishable. I think that's I think that's right. I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, among those far-right extremists, whether they be the violent far-right extremists we're talking about here or others who operate online and elsewhere and complain when they are called out for their hate, their bigotry, and their violence. Um, And what's so important to understand is that no one, while they're entitled to their views, they're certainly entitled to their awful views. And if they simply had those views and spread them on the street corner and on their personal like 
in their personal capacities, however they wanted to, they were well within their rights. But no one is obligated to give a platform to these extremists, whether it be a media outlet, whether it be a social media platform, or whether it be any other entity. And there are attempts right now to blur those lines to suggest that people's First Amendment rights are somehow being undermined if a social media company or a media outlet or some other entity refuses to give license and platform to their hate and their violence and their extremism. And that is just wrong. And it is not in line with the values of this country or the values that this country is supposed to be about. It's not for, It's not about free speech. It's about the fundamental equality and dignity and right to justice of everyone in this country. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I, you know, I think, I, I think that there's also this, you know, that, and, and this is not, this is not a necessarily exactly what you're saying, but I, I look at, I listen to the folks who are, you know, who are sort of up in arms about having Confederate, um, uh, statues taken down and saying that, you know, we're, that the left and minorities are trying to cancel history. I think the point is, is that not about canceling history. No one's talking about canceling them. It's just that we don't, it, the federal, you know, federal and state governments shouldn't be paying to erect statues to honor them. <laughs> to exactly. me, that's different. No one's, I don't think anyone's talking about, I mean, you know, the, for a long time, the right in the 80s and 90s, and still today, you know, they're burning books that they don't like and, and censoring music and all this stuff. Like, so I listen to what there's the lectures I hear from them today, which is like, it's a pretty, I mean, it's pretty absurd when you think about, you know, how they, how, and you don't need to, this is sort of my rant. So you don't need to work, you don't need to necessarily weigh in here because I know it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's not exactly what you're focused on. But like, I listened to this vitriol on the right about, the, what the left is trying to do to, you know, cancel history and cancel culture. And they just don't get it. What we're, what the, what I think people are trying to do is that for many years, centuries, in fact, history was w the history of this country and what occurred wasn't actually being told. It wasn't being told correctly. And for in in what ended up happening is that it particularly in the south after reconstruction you had statues erected to you know confederate soldiers uh and they didn't even talk about the fact that the civil war was fought over slavery they changed the history of the civil war to to and it to as a more romantic view of it that they were fighting for you know southern you know they were southern rights and it was the exactly. against the war of northern aggression and and they sort of downplayed the the whole they didn't even talk about slavery because they knew that was a totally losing issue and so they romanticized many of these people robert e lee and you know many other confederate soldiers and built and erected statues because it was the only way that they could, you know, it was a way in which they could sort of regain or sense of pride in who they were. And um, even though, you know, the these folks were treasonous uh, traitors who, <laughs> you know, who who actually left the United States and fought a war against America, killing uh, hundreds of thousands of Americans um, over um, a practice of slavery which included 
terrorizing people, kidnapping them, raping them, beating them, separating families. It's like, you know, if if you went to someone and said, "Hey, look, I got I got a great idea. I want to I want the taxpayers to erect a statue of this person who um kidnapped your family a, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, um, separated them, raped the, raped the woman, uh, killed the man, uh, and, uh, and put the kids to work. I want to erect a statue to them. Right. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, exactly. Anyway, that's my rant. That's not. No, but uh, it's exactly right. And it's, it's, you know, some, so many of the organizations in, uh, who who were central to the Charlottesville violence wave those Confederate flags and are, uh, identify themselves as neo Confederate organizations because they believe that 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 legacy that violent hateful legacy should be what we're all about as a country. Yeah, yeah, and these or and you know let's not let's not you know I mean these these organizations that you're you're talking about I mean the foundation of them is violence and and terrorism. I mean, like that's, I mean, the Klan erupted, uh, cre was created to terrorize black people, um, particularly after, you know, after Reconstruction and black people got voting, you know, voting rights in the, in, or I'm sorry, during Reconstruction when black people got um, uh, the ability to vote, you saw actually um, black people elected to the Senate, uh, other positions of power in the South, um, you know, the, the Klan came um, you know, the Klan arose to push back on that and terrorize black people. Um, and, and, uh, and they were sort of this, like, you know, this, uh, you know, you know, that a, a, an army of darkness that was used in part by the institutional, like the, ins you know, the, the official government that they couldn't actually, they, you know, this was their arm, the sort of dark terrorists who were going around terrorizing uh, black people, and and uh, and and that was the you know that in many ways was the I mean the foundation of these groups is in violence and terrorism. There's nothing more to it. I mean, like I don't really. It's not like I don't think they're. It's not like they're trying to like, you know, teach their kids how to be, um, you know, successful in a trade or you know, uh, support community. I mean, there's nothing, I, I don't know. Is, is there any, are, are any of these groups actually like doing <laughs> even <laughs> philanthropy for white people? Like, I don't know what, like, what are, is it all about violence and terrorism? That to me, that seems like it is. Yeah. Unless you consider like marching on towns in Pennsylvania with swastikas and semi-automatic weapons, philanthropy for white people. I don't think they are, you know, I don't think anything that they do um, is meant to do anything but spread their hate, spread violence, and, and spread bigotry. And while not everything they do is a racist, violent conspiracy like what happened in Charlottesville, the fact that these groups exist in America, and while they have a right to exist in some form, the fact that they do is, is, is something that I think is antithetical to all of the values this country is supposed to be about. Um, so, uh, can you just tell, um, talk to our listeners about the, 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 a lot of the threats that the plaintiffs and the legal team, and, you know, we should actually, 
Uh, I haven't, I, this was, I should have done this earlier, but you guys have assembled a pretty, you know, an all-star legal team. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, Karen and Robbie and, and, and the, you know, sort of how great a job they're doing? Yeah, we are so fortunate. Our legal team are some of the top litigators in the country. Um, Roberta Kaplan, who represented Edie Windsor in the landmark case that struck down the Defense of Marriage Act um, seven years ago, um, as well as Karen Dunn, um, who is a former federal prosecutor in Virginia, former White House counsel. Uh, many of you might know her from the Hillary campaign. Um, the two of them lead a legal team that is just extraordinary, and it includes folks as well, like Michael Block, Jessica Phillips, Alan Levine. Um, are the law firms involved include Kaplan Hecker Fink, Paul Weiss, Boyd Schiller, Cooley, um, and Woods Rogers. Um, and the legal work itself is is being done um, more or less pro, bo- pro bono at this point. Um, what IFA needs to raise money for, and the reason IFA uh, exists to financially support this case and support it in a variety of other ways. Um, is because, among other things, the security threats our legal team, our plaintiffs, and IFA itself receives. Um, the biggest line item in IFA's budget is security. Um, these are threats from, in some cases, the defendants themselves, like defendant Chris Cantwell, who's known as the crying Nazi, if you saw the Vice documentary mm-hmm. on Charlottesville. Um, he uh, has threatened a number of folks, including Robbie Kaplan, our lead counsel, talking about all of the fun he's going to have with her when this is over. Um, he's actually currently in jail for other threats he made against a fellow white nationalist um, on the same platform on Telegram just days after he threatened Robbie. Um, in some cases, these are their supporters who threaten us. You know, people who email me about the uh, about dead Jews. Um uh, people who, you know, try to use a variety of tools and tactics that sort of come up to the line of what might be permissible and not considered a direct threat. Um, like, for example, the, the white supremacist who, who created a list of Jews on Telegram um, specifically to target harassment and threats against us. But, you know, they simply called themselves the noticer and said they were noticing uh, Jews who are speaking out against white supremacy. Um, similar, they did the very same thing to people who were in interracial uh, relationships earlier this year. Um, and they use these tactics that are meant to toe the line and might not necessarily count as a direct threat in the eyes of law enforcement, but in, are intended to rile up their supporters um, and uh, and target harassment and threats against against those that they're targeting. Um, and so security is is our biggest piece of the puzzle here, our biggest concern, both now um, as these threats are made on the dark web and elsewhere, um, and also when we go to trial and are going to be in Charlottesville for weeks at a time arguing this case. So what's your hope, Amy, uh, that the long-term impact of your efforts in integrity First for America efforts are um, with this this movement to eradicate um, hate and violence in this country. So there's so much that is important about this case and its impacts. Of course, first and foremost is justice for our plaintiffs and accountability for the leaders and groups responsible for what happened. James Fields didn't act alone. He was part of this racist, violent conspiracy. Um, and those who are who are part of that conspiracy with him must all be held accountable. Um, 
However, as we alluded to earlier, this case can also have ripple effects that go well beyond Charlottesville. Uh, we've already talked a bit about the impact the case has already had on the defendants through large sanctions moment movement, uh, large sanctions motions, jail time. Defendants like Richard Spencer have complained in court that it's quote financially crippling to them. Others have said they can't open new bed buildings, they can't go about their business because of the case. Um, it, the some cited the lawsuit in refusing to return to Charlottesville for uh, the 2018 uh, event they were hoping to have. Um, and so we're already seeing very real financial, legal, and operational impacts. And when we go to trial and win large financial judgments against these defendants, um, this case can truly bankrupt and dismantle those who are at the center of this movement. And then, of course, there's the trial itself. Robbie Kaplan, one of our lead counsels, likes to say how every decade or so in this country, there's a trial that's about more than the parties, um, but about the issues that it raises and about an education for this country. And I think right now, as we're finally beginning to have a much needed public reckoning on racial justice in America, um, putting the leaders of the violent white supremacist movement on the stand, holding them accountable for their hate and their violence and their bigotry, um, and having winning a jury verdict that sends a crystal clear message that there will be very real financial and legal consequences for being part of this violence is critical. It's critical to uh, to taking on this movement, but it's also critical to this country and making sure that this issue remains front and center um, and that the general public understands how much of a crisis violent white supremacy is right now. Amy, what can folks do to help uh, the organization and your efforts um, in terms of, uh, like, you know, obviously, you know, your website, uh, I assume donations would be welcomed. Um, but what else is there? What else can be done to, to fight these fight back against these people? I would say the, the two biggest things folks can do are spread the word and donate if you're able to. Donating directly supports the case. Every dollar we raise directly supports those costs I talked about, including security and evidence collection. Um, but more so spread the word. We want people to know that this case exists. It's so easy to feel angry and scared and helpless on these topics right now. And this case is a very real, very tangible opportunity to do something about white supremacy in America. Um, so spread the word on our homepage, on our website, you will see a brand new video that we just released highlighting the importance of this case. It's two minutes. It's a quick, pithy way to understand um, what this case is all about and what IFA is all about. It's also on all of our social media platforms. We're at Integrity for USA on Twitter and Instagram, Integrity First for America on Facebook. Um, our website is integrityfirstforamerica.org. There's also an activist toolkit there with sample social media content and other materials that you can use um, to spread the word. So we are just grateful for what folks can do to let people know that this case is happening and that there's a tangible way to fight back against the violent white supremacy that's been plaguing this country. Amy Spitalnik, thank you so much for coming on The Electables. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the cause that you're fighting for. Um, you're very brave and it's also just um, such a uh, important um, effort to be behind. And um, 
Three years ago, I guess uh, three years ago uh, tomorrow um, is when it all happened in Charlottesville. So um, I encourage everyone to go check out integrityfirstforamerica.org, learn about the case, their work, um, spread the word, uh, retweet their Twitter handle, um, and um, and if you can, um, give a little donation. Uh, because uh, this will have broad implications um, and a huge impact on uh, the on fighting um, uh, domestic terrorism in this country. Um, so, Amy, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for my producer, Michael Pelquin, this is Doug Thornell. Uh, this has been another edition of The Electables. Uh, as always, if you're interested in start starting your own podcast. Check in with Michael uh, at uh, michael at airsnext.com. He is one of the best producers in the podcast business, uh, and he'll get you set up and on your way. Um, So um, uh, uh, I encourage you to uh, um, spread the word on uh, IFA and what they're doing, and um, we will be back uh, next week. by then, we'll be probably right in the middle of the uh, conversation about Joe Biden's running mate and uh, also the start of the Democratic National Convention. So lots to talk about. Thanks again for uh, tuning in and um, have a great week. <laughs>